Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in to episode one of This One's For You. I'm your host, Ellen Noble, and before we begin with today's guest, I want to tell you a little bit about this podcast. The earliest idea of this show came to me two years ago, when I was knee-deep in my own comeback journey. I was trying to re-emerge on the racing scene after time away due to chronic illness and the pandemic. During that time, I found myself reaching out to my amazing friends for words of encouragement a lot. I benefited from hearing their comeback stories so much that it got me thinking that other people would probably benefit from hearing those stories as well. And so, the first iteration of this podcast was born. At the time, I wanted to have conversations with people who had triumphant comebacks. One week after recording my first episode, I fractured my spine in three places, and a few months after that, I announced my sabbatical and subsequent retirement from professional bike racing. In the two years since this idea first crossed my mind, this podcast has morphed and grown along with me. This One's For You tells stories of comeback, but also of reinvention, vulnerability, bravery, and so much more. If you've ever felt like you're going through it alone, this one's for you. My first guest is none other than cyclocross legend Stephen Hyde. Stephen is a dear friend of mine and a source of inspiration through many good times and some bad. Although Stephen is no stranger to setbacks and comeback, his story is about so much more than injury and his race wins. Stephen's trajectory is anything but traditional in elite sport, and that's why he was the obvious choice as my first guest. How did Stephen Hyde go from a cigarette-smoking high school dropout to a decorated professional athlete and national team coach? If you're feeling stuck in a rut, this one's for you. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and I feel very special now. (laughs) You should feel very special. You are the (laughs) only person that I could think to ask to come on the show while I figure out what the hell we're doing here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honored. So, hi, you're pretty ubiquitous to the sport of cyclocross, um, but for those who don't know you, do you want to introduce yourself, or do you want me to (laughs) try my hand at it? (laughs) Uh, You know, I kind of love to hear your point on this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not what I hoped you would say, but <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm going to challenge you on this. So. Okay. Yeah. So, Stephen Hyde, you are a former professional cyclocross racer, also having had some success racing professionally on the road and on the mountain bikes, but you're definitely known as a pro CX racer. You recently retired from professional cyclocross, most recently racing for the Steve Tilford Foundation three-time national champion, two-time Pan American champion, and four-time world championship team member. Is that correct? Seven or six. Seven times. Six or seven. I think this, I think this last year might have been, was going to be my seventh. Where the heck did I get four? I think. I don't know. Bad math. Am I giving my stats? Because <laughs> that sounds honestly a lot like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, we're hardly ever in the same place at the same time, so we could just be the same person. <laughs> that's that's true. This is actually any videos we have from this is um, completely a deep fake. So you're also um, a recent dad to a very sweet little beeb named mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Georgia, and you are now uh, the cyclocross coach for the U.S. national team. And most importantly, I think career highlight, if I do say so myself teammates with none other than myself in 2014 and 2015. <laughs> I'd say that was a highlight for sure. That was, I yeah. mean, it was a highlight for me. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever uh, differentiated, you know, post our, our time on an actual team as not being teammates. 
Yes. You know? Just a little less daily harassment and just kind of transition to more weekly harassment, yeah. I think. Yeah. Less yeah. daily terror. Yes. <laughs> uh, so before we begin, I do, I didn't really know when to bring this up, but I did want to tell everyone how I met you. Okay. Um, I walked into Al Donahue's basement, Al Donahue, dear friend, mm-hmm. both of ours currently, um, my housemate and uh, I also lived with Al. Yes, we both lived with Al in his basement and well, no, we have not lived with Al in his basement. We both How do you put this? We have both separately lived with Al. Also spent a lot of time in his basement. Yes. Which is his bike shop slash fit studio slash trainer studio slash laundry room. Slash service course. Slash service course. Yes. Yes. Testing uh, arena. Yes. And Bosu Ball storage. <laughs> so I walked into yeah. said basement, actually, the first time I was probably 16, maybe 17. I think you were 16 because you had just gotten your car. Okay. And you had just, yeah, I think you were just like, look, I drove from Maine. <laughs> I drove here. It was a very big deal. And you, I, I don't know if I had interrupted you or if you had even really, like, I don't know if you had really diverted from your conversation which was about enemas. And I said, what's an enema? And you told me what an enema was because I think you were doing them or considering having to do one because of an issue you were having. And that was, that's my earliest memory of you. Yeah, I don't, I, I didn't, I hadn't done one. I still haven't. Um, but it was a long conversation between Al and I of uh, should I do one or not? And we were debating on whether they work or are just for Hollywood. Okay. Yeah. I think coffee was involved with it, like coffee, coffee enema, enema, maybe. Yeah. And then I think it devolved de- de- into like how, uh, yeah, people use like alcohol and stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. I have a lot of thoughts on enemas, but that's actually not what we're here to uh, talk about today. So I guess maybe we'll have a different. Uh, was that jam camp? I don't think so. For some reason, I feel like I was there to pick up some stuff, but that's really the only memory I have was just oh, yeah. the enema. Yeah, and I think okay. you were sitting on a Bosu ball. Yeah, that checks out. So yeah. I guess just to begin, um, can you take me through your life pre-cycling? I think that's something that knowing who you are today, the successful athlete that you are, the, the dad and husband that you are, um, the friend, mentor, coach, all of that. I don't think a lot of people would really have guessed what your life was like before professional <laughs> and elite cycling. So uh, I know it's a big yeah, question. I know it's a big accurate. question, but can you take me through? Um, the only kind of hint I can give you is Al told me to ask about the raccoons specifically said which ones <laughs> um, your roommate raccoon um i did yeah so i i, I did have uh, a bunch that lived behind six adams uh that we were inadvertently feeding for a while um and i had a pet well i had a lot of wild pets when i was younger um, I think this is what he was getting at. Yeah, I definitely had a, um, I, I don't think I actually had a raccoon, but I had a, a, ba- a little possum for a while, which they're just so cute when they're young, um, but pissed off when they get older. Uh, I had a lot of pet squirrels, um, other various things. I had a pet blue jay for a while. I grew up in Florida, and so we had like Northwest Florida, you know, so I, I am the quintessential like Florida man, and um, I was raised to be such. And this blue jay was awesome because he would just like, we taught him to whistle, you know, <laughs> various tunes, and eventually we let him go. 
and uh, he would just flew around our yard and like would whistle, and we'd keep dog food in our pocket. And when our friends came over, speaking of blue jays, he would like fly down and land on us, and we'd give him food, and our friends would like flip out. Um, so that's yeah, that's how I grew up. Um, <clears throat> and so I grew up in Northwest Florida, um, pretty rural area outside of Pensacola, um, kind of in that like buffer zone between what would be like the suburbs and then like cotton and peanut fields and then state forest. Um, yeah, super small community. And um, yeah, grew up with like pretty hippie parents. Um, we were pretty broke. Had a lot of like broken down Volkswagen vans um, and other various things and you know, just spent a lot of time outside. You know, that's what we could do. And uh, bikes somehow became this like huge part of me. I had a lot of older siblings and I was kind of the youngest in the neighborhood. And I was just like super competitive, I think, because of that. And I think my older brother, Matt, was into bikes and into BMX for a minute. And, you know, because they were doing it, I just wanted to do it. And it just, being the youngest, you know, wasn't the best at it, but I was always like the last one out there or like the most eager one to do it. And um, I went through a spell, I think because I was so eager of just like hurting myself. <laughs> <laughs> pretty badly like my 10th birthday I, I broke my I shattered my elbow on a zipline my dad made me um that was pretty fun like any good zipline it's incredibly dangerous yeah, my mom was like this is a terrible <laughs> idea my dad's like he'll be fine uh yeah and then I also fell over and had a pretty pretty tremendous head injury while riding my bike um and I cracked my head open I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks and you were obviously wearing a helmet I was definitely not wearing a helmet <laughs> and um I remember my mom being like, you're never riding a bike again, that's it. And I remember like being home from school and like, yeah, I would just go get my bike and go ride it around. And she'd be like, okay, well you have to wear like a helmet. I still had like stitches and like <laughs> stuff coming out of my head, you know? <laughs> and uh, like the, the plate, they put like the bone plate hadn't even like healed. And I would like, I would run outside and I'd like get on my bike and like ride around a couple of times in my like dirt driveway and like fall over and then be like, ah, I'll put my bike back up and then run in and like wait for my mom. Like, okay, coast is clear. I'm like, run back out and get on it again. <laughs> um, so it was always like from like day one, and I think just as like a hyperactive kid, you know. I think if you were like, okay, let's diagnose Hyde, you'd be like, oh, that's what ADHD looks like. <laughs> I, I think of all of the amazing friends we share, looking at any of them in their childhood, we would be able to say, oh, that's what ADHD looks like. Yeah. And then you would go to the next friend. That's what ADHD looks like. like that's, we have bikes as the common thread, but yeah. in reality, we have ADHD and hyperactivity as the thread. Yeah, yeah. We all just kind of figured out that bikes were the thing that made us somewhat normal for a, a short period of time until we stopped doing them. Um, and then we lost our minds. Yeah. Uh, continually. Um, yeah, and so, like, you know, I think with that kind of thread of, like, just being kind of the youngest, scrappiest, but also the most like distracted and hyperactive. I think that like I had a, just a tremendously hard time in school. I had a lot of anxiety because of it. Um, I spent a lot of time with like my mom as uh, like I would be in and out of like homeschooling. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in like, uh, so I kind of went through like <clears throat> different um, 
like LD programs, like learning disability programs okay. while I was in school. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at it now, it's just like, yeah, it's just anxiety. It was yeah. just so anxious. But no one was out there saying that you have. Yeah, no, they were just like, oh, we're just gonna figure part. out, like, let's get him to milk down fines. We'll figure it out, you know? And like, um, but in general, it was just like, yeah, I just didn't want to be around people or like it was just scary and I didn't know how to cope with it, deal with it. Um, and so I went from like, you know, not really even being able to like read till like third grade, you know, at any level, to being like beyond, you know, my, my classmates, mm-hmm. you know, once I kind of figured it out. So it was, it was obvious that like, to me, looking back, it was just like, oh yeah, there was like tons of signs of intelligence, but the, I think just like the, the system there just kind of was like, well, the standardized tests say this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he is this. So were, were bikes the difference maker for you or like how did, cause like you're clearly intelligent. Like I, I've only known you as an adult, but you're like very, very smart. I have looked to you for a lot of different um, pieces of advice I think that, like, throughout the years. I think that I, I've always been an experiential person. Mm-hmm. I think that like mentorship mm-hmm. experience has always been what has driven me and, and wanting to learn different things, wanting to follow different things, um, go down different avenues. And, you know, I, I think I probably or pretty early on was just like, I got to do something. I want to like, all I could think about was like going outside and doing stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And I would be like, okay, I want to ride my bike to school. Yeah, okay. We live on this like rural highway. There's no way. <laughs> and it, eventually in, in like um, middle school, I convinced my, my mom to let me ride to school. Because mm-hmm. I found this like back way through all these like different neighborhoods and like cut through people's yards and found all these dirt roads. And, you know, it probably took me an hour to get to school. Mm-hmm. I was probably late a lot. Um, and I would, like, pick up friends on the way and ride. <laughs> and I think those were probably some of the easier times in school for me where I, like, had an outlet. Mm-hmm. And looking at stuff like, you know, different programs, they have, like, outride program and stuff yeah. like that. You know what I mean? I think that's, like, the basis for that. And I, I think, like, organically I figured that out on my yeah. own. But by that time, it was, like, very ingrained. I mean, I you know, I... It... It was really interesting thinking back about like, okay, I found this way to like calm myself down, which was like, oh, kid's got a bunch of energy. Cool. Wear him out. Mm-hmm. He'll focus. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the school system was like, yeah, he's going to need to study more. So let's pull him out of PE. Let's not give him a chance to like do these sports, mm-hmm. you know, I never took a sport. I never. And, you know, I was like pulled out of certain classes to be, you know, I think like half of my, half of my um class time in middle school and in high school was in like ld separate classrooms mm-hmm. and i think i just despised it like it yeah. was awful yeah i felt like so other and like separate and it you know like i'm 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 in a room with like pretty severely disabled uh kids you mm-hmm. know and uh it, it felt like okay am i like am i this severe mm-hmm. you know like I obviously have a tremendous like respect and you know empathy for all all the kids that were in these classes um but did I feel like I kind of deserved to be there and I felt like it was super fucking weird Mm -hmm. and kind of embarrassing and like hurtful and Mm -hmm. when I went to high school there was like they literally built a separate wing on with like big glass doors and this is what I remember from high school the most is that like half my classes were down this hallway 
And so in the morning, I would get there and I'd meet. And I had found, like, BMX by then in, in middle school and just, like, had kind of given up, like, any semblance of normalcy in, in terms of, like, what I was going to do academically. Mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, I just want to get out of here and go ride my bike. Mm-hmm. I'd even, like, in, in – I went to two different um, middle schools. And in between, I did homeschooling for half a year because mm-hmm. I was just like, this sucks. And uh, I couldn't handle it. And I remember even trying to, like, run – because I was like, I got into running 5Ks and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And at the, at the middle school, I was like, hey, I want to get into running. And, like, the, the PE coaches were like, yeah, I mean, sure, whatever. Like, maybe not here. Maybe you can do that somewhere else or whatever. And I would just, like, run laps. You know, I would, like, try to get 5K times or I would try to get, like, mile times or whatever. <laughs> and, like, couldn't even get them to pay attention, you know. And um, that was just a really weird it was just a really weird scene. And so all I wanted to do was ride my bike, and we would kind of just ride BMX from, like, the time we got out of school to, like, dark or, or more. Um, and I just kind of, like, through that, I developed this, like, sense of, all right, cool, I'm just going to, like, develop my own way of having fun and focus. And I had some, like, really talented kids that I rode with um, that I became friends with and very rowdy kids who... Uh, definitely got me in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I think we were always trying to like one up each other in terms of uh, dumb shit that we uh, were doing. And, uh, but still competitive, you know, I think it pushed me a lot. And I was like, I'm gonna ride BMX for the rest of my life. This is what I do. Um, Did you? I do still have a bike. <laughs> I literally headed out yesterday and I was like doing some 180s in the driveway. Um, I still feel like it's a big part of my life mm-hmm. somehow, <laughs> even though I don't do it very often. I air up the tires more than I ride it. <laughs> um, but I'm not half bad when I get back on it. <laughs> you know, I'm okay, definitely an Dad. old man. <laughs> yeah. I do All right, like Grandpa, let's get you, let's yeah. get you back to your room. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is absolutely it. Yeah, I ride that thing like for an hour and I can't like move for a week. Yep. Um, but it was the same for high school. You know, I went in and like I had gotten so into it at the time that I was just spending the majority of my time doing it. And then I just started skipping school mm-hmm. to do it, you know, with these kids. One of my best friends, like, lived across the street from the high school. It was literally a field between us. And it was just like, all right, cool, we checked in, let's go. <laughs> um, and then once we got cars, you know, just the whole thing changed. Game over. Game over. So by that time, my kind of, like, academic life was pretty dead. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of just, like, given up on it. And... Uh, and I just, you know, I had started going to a, um, vocational school, mm-hmm. which was like right next to my house. Mm-hmm. And in between my house and this vocational school was this like giant ditch near an intersection that I basically built a skate park in. And so it was kind of like I'd show up at school and then I'd just like check out and I'd go down to the skate park and hope that I didn't get arrested. Um, but also at that time. I had I was spending like half my time there at a because it was a vocational school um, at a print shop, which was like the county school print shop. And the teacher there, Mr. Loper, still remember him very well. Uh, he actually like uh, I think those teachers actually cared a lot. I think they were really used mm-hmm. to kids just being totally checked out. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple that were just like, yeah, the kids checked out. Um, you know, they were they're waiting for us to come to them. Mm-hmm. But I think Mr. Loper was one of those guys that was just like, yeah, I think he found out that I didn't know how to, like, read a 
like analog clock mm -hmm. and he was like you're 16 or 17 mm -hmm. or whatever and, like you don't know how to read an analog clock and i was like yeah, i don't care so he went and bought me a watch you know still have that watch mm -hmm. you know um we, he would let me like bring my guitar and we would like play music together yeah and then he'd be like okay kid like go do some work like, <laughs> okay fine <laughs> you know he taught me how to develop film Mm -hmm. You know, gave me full use of the dark room. Gave mm -hmm. me a summer job. I worked with a guy who um, uh, moved printing presses and repaired them and stuff. Mm -hmm. and so I worked, and like that was what I wanted to do. I wanted mm -hmm. to work, and I learned so much through that process. But in the end, my academics outside of that had fallen apart completely. That I was just like, I just don't even want to do this. You know, mm -hmm. I think I was looking at maybe taking another year, and I just said, yeah, I'm out. And. Uh, and I got a job at a bike shop and eventually just started traveling across the country riding BMX. I had found punk then and like I was hanging out at like the punk club a lot in the skate park. Basically between there, like sleeping in my truck, uh, you know, go to the skate park, stay there till they close, go ride street till two or three in the morning or go to a show, sleep in my truck in the parking lot of the bike shop, work, go ride, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. A lot of drinking and stuff like that pretty like early underage, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, you know, even a fair amount of like, you know, recreational drug use at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was just part of the, the scene, you know? And it just, I did a lot. And I'm lucky I made it out of it <laughs> in a lot of ways, you know? Like, whew. Yeah, if you met Hyde back then, if you met me back then, you'd be like, this kid is insane. <laughs> I, I think that's like, that's like my question because I can I can visualize it and I think like we've all been I, I would say fortunate enough to have met kids like you yeah. maybe not to like that extent but I've met a lot of kids that you're like I never could have anticipated that they turned out like this and so like how for you if like high school dropout basically homeless recreational drug user punk rock Stephen Hyde could see like multi-time national champion, incredibly successful athlete, coach, dad, like what, how, how do you think you would have reacted knowing that somehow that became your trajectory? I didn't think I'd live past 30. <laughs> like, sincerely. I had absolutely no intention of living past 30. I didn't think it was possible. You just think like here for a good time, not a long time? Yeah. Live fast, die. <laughs> <laughs> live fast, die. <laughs> Because that's what was like, that was going on around me. I mean, like, kids I knew died. Yeah. You know? They got, like, head friends get murdered or get, like, fall off of trains or OD. Yeah. Or get hit by a car, you know? Like, I don't know. It was just, that was part of it, you know? I had kids get, you know, shot in places riding their BMX you know, like in, in cities or, you know, just places where we were either like just in the wrong spot, wrong time, you know, late at night, someplace. Uh, I mean, hell, I almost got shot. Like we went to Mobile for this tour. Uh, it was called the Savage South BMX tour. And um, we went to Mobile, which is like the sister city to Pensacola, just across the bay. It was the first night. And I bailed on it after that. So we went to this place called um, uh, Bishop, I think it was Bishop State Community College. And it's like deep, deep hood kind of area. And it was late. And it was like right after New Year's, I think. And God, it was probably like one in the morning or something. And we were riding over through town, et cetera. And we kind of got to this like spot. Um, 
this intersection and like we could see that the school the, the school was cool because it had this like I mean, it was basically a you know blank campus except for this library which was really small and had these cool like transitions on the side of it it was mm -hmm. like this it was awesome and you'd like hit the transition at this angle and then like you could smash yourself on the roof if you got <laughs> high enough and, um but we were like sitting at this intersection there's probably 20 of us or more um and these dudes pulled up next to us and you know they're kind of looking at us and we're like hey man what's up you know we're pretty brash like we're just we're willing to like talk to anybody mm -hmm. whatever and he's like yeah what's up and somebody was like yeah happy new year he's like yeah happy fucking new year and he reaches under his seat and like i see it and i was like fuck go go like everybody go and we like split everybody nuked it with this intersection and they just started shooting at us just like pop 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 skidding through the intersection like burning out they came into the parking lot we're all like scattered and I had a camera back on, uh, bag on, like a Lopro bag with a the tripod on the bottom of it. And we just kind of like carried various gear around and did a lot of filming. And, uh, I think we hid, got around this big building and somebody found like a security guard and literally like this campus security guard drove us back downtown to like where we were. And like, um, we all kind of like finally met up. I didn't have a cell phone. You know, I didn't right. have a computer or anything like that. So I, you know, I couldn't like find anybody. So we get back and everybody's just like, oh fuck, you know, some brothers got split up and um, we're sitting there and I'm like, I take my bag off and I'm looking at it and like the head of my tripod is blown off. Like, and it's, you know, it's here, it's like right by my, my, you know, my kidneys or whatever. The fucking thing is shattered to pieces. And I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. And I like, I laid down and I like went white and I was just like, oh fuck, God, that was bad. <laughs> oh my God. Um, you know, and there was all sorts of chances that I, you know, could have gone either way. And like, you know, that's a, probably one of the more s severe, just kind of wrong place, wrong time. Mm -hmm. But, um, there was lots of situations like that, you know, lots of runs with police and mm -hmm. stuff. But I think my saving grace is that I have always been at least pleasant and charming enough to get my way out of <laughs> most things. Unfortunately, pleasant and charming doesn't really care about... <laughs> No, bullets don't care. No. Yeah, bullets don't <laughs> care. Um, you know, drugs don't care. None, none of that, you know, whatever. But I was at least able to kind of get myself out of confrontation, um, which was great. So um, was that like your come to Jesus moment or did you just oh God, keep no. on keeping on? No, I just kept going. I mean, I, the only thing that like kind of separated me from that was, was bike racing. <laughs> like when I was in, I was in bike shops. God, I worked at like five or six bike shops and just loved it you know I got mm -hmm. rid of my truck I was riding fixed gear around and I had cargo bikes and I had a like studio you know like bike shop at my house that was like this community shop that I built out and I would teach classes in it and we had a, a pedicab service and a courier service and I built all these like big pizza delivery bikes and so we were just like you know living in punk houses and, and having these kind of like odd bike related world job things and but I was working at a bike shop and they kind of like, I had started getting to like, think about wanting to ride mountain bikes and stuff. When I was a kid, I had like mountain bike posters on my wall mm -hmm. and stuff. And I had a bunch of like junky, you know, department store bikes. My dad bought like two department store mountain bikes that were identical. One for him, one for me. Oh. Obviously mine was like really small, but it was basically so like when I wrecked mine, he'd pull parts up of his, you know, and he would teach me how to like work on it. And, um, but I always wanted, like, I had, I had Cannondale posters on my wall. I went to the, we used to go to the bike shop, and I remember, like, this 
Cannondale mountain bike on display. And I was just like, one day, you know, but I never got a good mountain bike. And, um, I built one out of the dumpster at a bike shop. And that was my, my first race bike. And they were like, you should just try it, you know, try mountain biking, try whatever. And I went to my first race and, uh, the bike shop owner was like, there was this guy I worked with in, he had this fancy bike, super into XTR, all this crazy stuff, lightweight stuff, whatever. And I'm like smoking cigarettes, you know, <laughs> on my break or whatever. Um, and my boss was like, hey, here's a hundred bucks. End of the race, you know, whatever, 15 bucks. Um, and uh, if you can beat Chris, it's yours. Just keep the rest. And I was like, oh, all right, I got this. <laughs> and I remember like, dropping my bottle, dropping my chain, doing all this stuff. But I was so far ahead of everybody in that race. I had like won it by such a substantial amount of time that I thought maybe I had a lap to go or something. And no, maybe I took a wrong turn. Um, but after that, I was like, oh, fuck, racing's cool. I'm in. Um, and I kind of moved around. I rode across the country and rode from Florida to Oregon and worked at some shops there. And uh, some old, uh, old BMX friend of mine was was living there at the time. And I lived with him. He, he was living in an apartment that actually uh sam smith's uh partner margaret lives in the same building Whoa. or across the street i can't remember um and literally i got there and like it's shown up on our touring bikes and he had no furniture or anything and we also lived together in pensacola same way and we all just slept on our floor with this empty apartment with our sleeping bags <laughs> <laughs> um, but he was into racing and he had gotten into racing he was super strong and i was like well those are cool I saw my first cyclocross race there alpen rose and, um, but I never, I never raced. And so I went back to Pensacola and some guys there were just like, well, you're really strong. Like I was doing group rides and all this stuff. And they're like, I think you should, you should try this, come with us. And so I kind of put smoking behind me, but at, at the time it was like, it was kind of like racing was just like, yeah, yeah whatever, you know, road race. Cool. Let's yeah. go jump in the car with whoever was going to whatever, you know, mountain bike race on, on, you know, whatever road race on Saturday, mountain bike race on, on Sunday. Whoever was going in what direction, I'll jump in the car and, mm -hmm. and go to it. And um, Why were you so into it? What was like the, the draw with? I, don't, I liked going really hard. <laughs> yeah. Like that was it. Mm -hmm. When I rode BMX, it was always like, I was never super into doing big tricks. Mm -hmm. They always kind of scared me. Like taking my feet off scared the hell out of me. I've got, you know, my shins are just destroyed. <laughs> yeah. But what I could do is just pedal really fast at things and go really, you know, high and far. Um, and, you know, that kind of stuff was uh, style. All that was just kind of like part of who I was as a BMX rider. And, um, and, and then, like, I was just riding a lot. I was, like, commuting constantly by bike. I was doing everything by bike. It was just my life. And... Um, I just went kind of hard everywhere and so like going hard on the bike just kind of seemed really natural and i think that the bmx stuff translated really well to like being able to handle speed really well for the most part <laughs> um and bikes didn't scare me mm, like going mm -hmm. fast doesn't scare me you know or at least it didn't then yeah <laughs> <laughs> um you know thank like, you for that yeah clarification because i was like really <laughs> you know like what's that like yeah right <laughs> Um, it just didn't, just being in like dumb kind of situations where other people would kind of yell and freak out just what did bother me mm -hmm. very much. And so I was okay with that. Um, 
and I liked it. I liked being competitive. And all of a sudden I found myself like not being the best at it. <laughs> and I was back to that same situation of like kid brother, youngest in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. just being the last person on the bike <laughs> practicing. And yeah, you know, I think it's kind of still how I am. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you feel like, did you ever feel like you were like this physiological gift to the earth? No. Um, no, I I've always like I gotten the sense that you just outworked and out studied and out like out nerded a lot of people. Yeah, that's what is it is. That, yeah, that's always it. I was always just like I was always the one that wanted to go ride when no one else wanted to, and I was always the last one to to end. And I always took more runs than everyone. And I was yeah, just I was never like I was just surrounded by all these extremely talented people. And like, it bummed me out that I wasn't that good, mm -hmm. but I just had the endurance, you know? I think I, I did have a, the, the physiological uh, advantage that I did have was like this just endurance and drive. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was kind of it. Like I never, I don't think, I think I only won one contest ever. Um, hell, I broke my arm at, I think I only did like four or five contests, maybe five or six. I broke my arm at the first one I ever went to. <laughs> I broke my other elbow. Yeah. <laughs> so you started off on yeah. a high note, obviously. Started off on a high I know. I actually tried to do the run. Uh, I fell. I this, like, huge quarter. It was a skate park called Havoc. And I, like, dropped in. And I just, like, went chain ring and uh, fell down and, and bumped my, I bumped my, I boo-booed my elbow. Broke the hell out of that thing. And, like... My mom was like, okay, we should probably go to the hospital. And I was like, no, 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 my run's almost coming up. <laughs> I like, popped some Tylenol. I was like, I'm going in. And I couldn't move it. Like, it was weird. It was almost like it was broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It turns out it was. Um, but, you know, I just, I was never like the most, uh, I don't know, advanced rider in those terms. But I could handle my bike really well. Mm -hmm. And that was just kind of my, my thing. Yeah. So, how the hell did you get here? Like, how did you get from being a vegan to punk to function, uh -huh. kind of doing any race you could, mountain biker, to coming up to East Hampton and living in Al's basement? Yeah, great question. Um, through a lot of uh, other things. Um, I met this guy, Frank uh, Jennings, who owns Edgartown Bicycles on Martha's Vineyard. And he's also from Pensacola and raced as like an elite in like the 60s, 70s um, and lived in Belgium, had an apartment there. And I think he was kind of part of the, like he's like Paul Curley's best friend, okay. you know, and so I kind of, I got introduced to that group through him and mm -hmm. he was like, hey, <laughs> you look like an adventurous kid. Like, you like bike racing? Cool. You want to come work for me? Cool. You have nothing better going got on. Got nothing better going here. on, yeah. So just kind of like. Uh, I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. All right, fine. And I just drove, packed all my shit up and drove to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, first time in New England. Um, and he was like my first coach. Mm -hmm. And he like took me to races, you know, like Sunapee and, okay. and stuff like that and Exeter and, and all that. And um, he kind of trained me and I lived with this guy in this bike house behind the bike shop, Jason Snow, um, who was just a, he was on Smart Stop or be before Smart Stop, I guess it was. Uh, jittery joes and mountain khakis okay um and he i think he's like a 30 plus world champion i think okay i think from like cologne germany you know he's new england guy anyways and um those guys kind of took me under their their wing 
which is a very old school, uh, just do it, don't complain. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, of course we're riding in the rain kind of people. Um, My people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're not going fast enough? Maybe you should go harder. Mm -hmm. you know? It's supposed to hurt. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Just, just do it. Um, and um, I also worked with this guy, Rodrigo, who was on jam. Mm -hmm. Is he the jujitsu master? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Who would like yeah. knock people out? Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. heard. Yep. Rodrigo is a very special unicorn of a person. Um, and he grew up in Brazil okay. and was a downhill racer and um, ended up with a heart condition. And somehow he lived here at some point. Anyways, okay. he got hooked up with, with Al in early jam. Okay. You know, this was like Duran, yeah. um, Francis, a yes. whole, whole early crew. And um, he was like, you know, I was kind of like doing some cyclocross then. And he was like, oh, I think you're actually really good. I think you should join Jam, this team, yada yada. Um, and he kind of like also trained with me a little bit. Mm -hmm. Was a little more compassionate. Um, <laughs> but the guy that, <laughs> that no like that knocks people out by putting them in a chokehold was yeah. so much more compassionate. Yeah. And he does it with love. You oh, know? yeah, he just... uh, it's for funsies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and but was like really encouraging. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that he was just like, yeah, you can do that. You know, I was like, oh, I want to be the next T-Bar. He was like, yes, do that. Yeah, and that, like, well, I guess I was going to make a statement, but did that feel good to you? Like, yeah. it, that kind of feels like the difference maker in some ways, I think, for some people. Yeah. At least for me, having people be like, I believe in you. Like, yeah. you can be great. Did that give you the belief that you can do what you did? Yeah, because I think that, like, up until that point, I had kind of run everything out on, like, what talent was available. Mm -hmm. Like, everything. Until, like, real hard work came in. Mm -hmm. And I was like, maybe I'll do something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that what I kind of learned at that time was he was just like, yeah, you're good, mm -hmm. but, like, oh, you'll never be that unless right. you do these things. And I was like, oh, fuck. Alright, that's hard. But it was that consistent, like, pressure, mm -hmm. you know, when he was just like, live like a monk, mm -hmm. be a bike racer, you know? And I was like, oh, okay, that's all I got to do. And, of course, you know, me being just, like, the kind of person that's just like, oh, you want me to do this? Cool. I'm going to go all in. Mm -hmm. Went super in. And traveled around, lived in my car, you know, did all that stuff. But I had kind of eventually, like, was like, okay, I'm going to meet Al. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go over and meet these jam people. And, um, but I had kind of planned to do cross that that winter fall but I had gotten Lyme mm. over the summer and like it wrecked me absolutely wrecked me so I decided to go back to Oregon and go to bike school um and there I had done some racing brought my cross bikes with me and did some racing and you know off the couch I was like went in some races mm -hmm. over there you know local races and um it was a lot of fun and I had met somebody else there um Natalia <coughs> who had went to MIT, mm -hmm. Al was the MIT coach, and she was like, oh my god, you should meet my coach, Al. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. I was like, Al Donahue? Like, she, so I got this like West Coast person, I got this East Coast person, mm -hmm. and both of them are just like, you should meet this person. You're a perfect match for this guy. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is too much. And so when I was in, I had kind of followed her down to San Francisco, and I was there, and where she was, where she was living, and I kind of got in contact, and he was like, yeah, Come on over. I was like, all right, peace. 
and I like jumped in my car and I was like, I'm driving to Massachusetts. I'll see you, I'll see you in a week. Come over. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Oregon. Yeah. I have a team for you. Yeah. <laughs> On my way. What's that? I'm trying to make a meme. I don't quite have it together, but. Yeah. So I did. I just, I kind of drove over and, you know, so I, lived, I lived in my car in East Hampton for a couple of weeks and we hung out and, um, you know, I think it was like a match made in heaven where he was just like, yeah, that's cool. You want to race. That's awesome. But like, we don't have a spot for you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this was Tom Sampson was on there mm-hmm. and Duran and Anthony and stuff. And, um, he was like, we don't have enough gear or equipment <laughs> to support you. And you were like, can I park in your driveway and sleep in your driveway? Yeah. Like that would be a great sponsorship. I literally. That's kind of how it worked. <laughs> I was just like, I have my own bike. Yeah. Like what do you, he's like, okay, like here's a kit, mm-hmm. you know, come race with us or whatever. Like, Damn perks. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, but I remember going with a ride with him and, you know, I had my like full campy road bike or whatever. And now and I went and he was just like, Hey, I want to go. Yeah. I think he had just moved to Loudville, his yep. current house. And he was like, oh, I want to go explore this, like not road. And I was like, yeah, that's my thing. And like, we went out and, you know, eventually this like easy ride turned into this like three hour march through the woods. And I was like, Oh, this is my people. This is my life. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I just had so many flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> of like the easy, like the, the, the faded yeah. piled on you easy ride. <laughs> you end up without your shoes on somewhere in like Chesterfield. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Calling somebody. Um, heading to Bueno. Um, and uh, yeah, eventually like we went to a race together. And I actually ended up winning the cross race at Myerson was there, Chabanov, and like all these, you know, people that were in the kind of front group of the mm-hmm. New England race. And I was just nervous as hell mm-hmm. and uh, just absolutely out of my mind nervous. And I went through and I even flatted, flat on the last lap. And I, I, I can't believe I even won that thing. And I did. And he like kind of rolled across the line. He was just like, and welcome to the team. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. That's how that works. <laughs> So when you got on Jam, or I guess like kind of any time in this window, like did you know what you were working towards or were you just chasing that next achievement? Were you just trying to get to the next step or did you know what was at the top of the staircase for you? I had no idea what was there. So you just wanted to get on Jam because you wanted to have achieved getting on Jam. I was like, I want to be a pro. So you did know that you wanted to be a pro, but did you know what that meant? I want to, I want to, I would just want to live and bike race. That's what I want to do. I kind of don't care what that looks like. <laughs> so you wanted to just keep doing the thing that you were doing, basically, yeah. of living in your car and... <laughs> yeah. That was my trajectory. Eating food from Deals and Steals? Oh, I hadn't even found Deals and Steals yet. I was, like, <laughs> yeah. in the Deals and Steals dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you knew that there was a life of luxury yeah. ahead of you. Okay. Yeah. But I had squirreled away some cash from working at the bike shop. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, basically, like, working all summer and then cross was like the thing because mm-hmm. i was like okay cool you know i was good at mountain bike racing i'd kind of hit my limit of like ability or at least like challenge in the southeast and without racing pro and then in road racing i was terrible and then like couldn't get out of my own way obviously was strong and then cross you know until i met frank and he taught me how to bike race mm-hmm. old school but he taught me how to bike race mm-hmm. which was you know still obviously still applicable and um yeah, kind of one of those, like, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be strong kind of, you know, situations. I'm familiar. So I was like, well, I am dumb, so this works out pretty well. <laughs> now uh, I just have to figure out how to be strong. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that at that time, 
I, Al just like had that talk with me. He was like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Here's the deal. We only want people that want to do this. Yeah. Do you actually want to do this? Mm-hmm. I don't want to waste my time. I think I remember like the, the literal conversation of like, I don't want to waste my time mm-hmm. with you if you don't want to do this. Yeah. And like, I was shaking in that, you know, the kitchen, right? Like just sitting in there at the, very at the table. Direct. And yeah. very, can he be very intimidating because he's someone who doesn't, he's not going to bullshit you. No. So he's not going to say, do you want to do this, yeah. sweetie pie? It's like, yeah. I'm not going to waste my time. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to waste my time with this. And I, I'm, we have very limited resources mm-hmm. and we have a pathway to do this. Mm-hmm. Do you want to commit to it? Yeah. Do you want to move here? Very specifically, do you want to move here to do this? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, fuck, I guess so. Um, I'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, and so I got a job at Joe's Garage for a little while, and uh, he was awesome, and um, which is a bike shop, and lived with Al, and we just raced. You know, he taught me how to race, and we had a great program then. You know, we had a lot of mentorship on that program, a lot of good racers, and I was also the de facto mechanic, as you remember, <laughs> I'm sure, for Jam. Yes. So that was fun. So I would build all the bikes, maintain all the bikes during the week. I think because you were gone, you kind of didn't get a lot of that. I probably built your bikes, but mm-hmm. I don't think that I did a lot of maintenance on yours because you would take them back to your like track shop or whatever, right? Is that kind of how that worked? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Or did they live there? I don't remember. Yeah, you were just like, I do remember that one road bike that we called Raw Paw because it was like <laughs> so messed up. <laughs> and Raw Paw meaning ridden hard and put away wet. Yep. Um, I know you know that, but for people who aren't familiar. And, um, there was that one season that I had gone from a compact crank and then I had saved up all my dollars to put that power meter on that I got from the Durans, oh, yeah. but it was a standard crank. And so I couldn't afford a new chain and we didn't have any extra chains. So I just kept the compact chain crank. Oh, yeah. So I basically had like this overbuilt single ring. So yeah. I would only ride in my little ring cause I didn't have enough chain length to get into the big ring. So yeah. I don't know if it's you would have helped me do that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that was the original one by. That was the original one by the That's noble just one an by. aside, but yeah. <laughs> so okay, we're we're almost to current day. We've basically butted up to me meeting you in Al's basement talking about enemas, which is awesome. <laughs> and we're starting to get into some kind of muddy territory where there's a lot of stories that have to do with me needing to poop on bike rides, and I don't know if we need to. Yeah, we can. We'll just go. We'll just say that. in general that happened a lot. It did happen a lot. Yeah. It doesn't happen as much but i also don't bike as much anymore so yeah, maybe there's a correlation so it's trending downward <laughs> we've gone over a good bit of the history i think a lot of what happens next is kind of common knowledge i'd like to go a little bit more into the abstract mm-hmm. and be like first of all have you seen the office oh yeah when michael has all the questions for toby but he doesn't realize that hr is going to be there and so he's like who do you think you are? <laughs> who, gave, who gave you the right? What I want to know is who the fuck do you think you are to be a high like school this. dropout smoking mechanic to be like, I'm going to be the best cyclocross racer. That, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be the best cyclocross racer in the world. I want to be Steve-Bar? Is that who you said that you wanted? Yeah. Like, I want to be Steve-Bar. Well, I just, I, like, I never had that. 
you know, obviously, like, I had very supportive parents that would, like, help me do whatever I wanted to, but, like, we didn't necessarily always have the resources to do it, things like that, and... They were, like, emotionally supportive? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, like, they would do whatever, like, you want me to drive you somewhere? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know? Do we need to get you a bike? Great. It's not going to be the best bike, but mm-hmm. we're going to get something. Mm-hmm. And, um... We'll make it work, mm-hmm. you know. And do we have time? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and we'll we'll spend that for you. Um, they did everything they could in that in that department, mm-hmm. you know. But ultimately, you know, it was kind of up to me to to figure it out eventually. And um, again, I had kind of like run out uh, my kind of like time with things. With you know, okay, I'm going to do this until like I have to work hard at it. Mm-hmm. Because I think in the end, it was always easy for me to find something else to kind of transition to. Uh-huh. And it was also easy to find support to just transition to whatever. Right. I always had somebody to say, like, oh, but you're so good at this. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay. But okay. you'll be good at that, too. Yeah. Um, which is great. But I, I, I think I find that, like, as a very competitive person, I find that a little bit, like, patronizing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and kind of drives me. Um, to be like, <laughs> so I think one thing that I found with, with Al and, and our relationship in particular was that like, he just never gave me that, never gave me an inch yeah. in that regard. You know, I, I think that I really appreciated that and which was like, cool, if you want to do this, you have to work your ass off. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. But the one thing that really like sparked with me was just like, I think we had that really honest conversation of, which I think we've, if, if you know him well, you've, you've had this conversation of like. What do you want to do? Mm-hmm. What are your goals? And you kind of spit out the, the like, safe goals. Mm-hmm. We were just like, well, I think, you know, like, I, uh, I want to be a national champion. And he's like, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. What else do you want to do? Oh, like, isn't that, like, more than that? isn't that enough? <laughs> um, you know, I think I could, I'd, I'd love to race in Europe, you know, mm-hmm. yada, yada. Okay, cool. Do you want to be a world champion? I was like, mm-hmm. wow. He's like, do you want to be a world champion? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. No shit, I want to be a world champion. Yeah, he's like, you don't sound like you do. Right. I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, cool, because I think you can. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is nice. That's he was like, terrifying. No, you can. It's not going to be easy. But, like, you, I, I've seen talented people. And I, then I also, I met you. And, you know, I think that the, the, the difference in your natural ability and your ability to focus and pick things up and implement things mm-hmm. and listen when you want to do something is surpasses most people I know. Mm-hmm. And that is like, you can overcome a lot of shit mm-hmm. in order to do this, but it's going to take a real plan and it's going to take a lot of like dedication in order mm-hmm. to do it. And you can't just say it and then back out when it's hard. And so I was like, oh, okay. That was another one of the situations where I like walked away from, and I don't think I talked for the rest of the day. You know, where I was just like, mm-hmm. "Oh fuck, that's heavy. Oh, that's so heavy. Um, it's scary as hell." You know, but that I think honestly, that conversation has driven me my entire career. You know, whether that I kind of lost sight of like the, the idea that I could do that. Mm-hmm. At least I had this person saying like, "Oh, I absolutely one hundred one hundred percent believe in you, but you can't do it on just like talent." Yes, and just. Yeah. Yeah. So you had, I think, what a lot of people struggle with. Like, you had this big goal. You had the desire to achieve the goal, but then maybe didn't have the desire to do all of the really hard things and deal with all of those big issues yeah. that separate you. Like, um, you know, you're at point A and point B is yeah. being world champion, and it's a lot of miles in between. Yeah. 
So like, how did you go from that conversation that like shut you up uh-huh. to kind of navigating all of that? Cause that's, there's like a million little steps. There's one big factor in a lot of this, which was it, my like true nature as like little brother competitive mm-hmm. was powers because powers was here mm-hmm. and he was available mm-hmm. and he was obviously the best we had, mm-hmm. you know, like he was, you know, in the overall in the world cup, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, was, he was national was, champion, was but national he was also champion. getting results in Europe. He was, he was it. He was mm-hmm. the pinnacle as far as like what we had at the time in, in us. And I think a lot of people found him really intimidating. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, just murder him. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to like befriend him and I wanted to learn everything he knew. Learn his and weaknesses. Learn his weaknesses exploit them. and exploit them and just get everything I could out of him and just let him drive me. And he did every single day. That ultimately got in my way because all I wanted to do was beat him. So by the time I got to the level of like, you know, I got on Cannondale and I was like, I had been on podiums with, with Jam mm-hmm. and I got on Cannondale and um i'd even like he had even offered me a spot on his program and it was between him and Stu, and both Stu's contract was good and Mm -hmm. the program was good and also we kind of decided like you know if i want to go in the direction i want to go in, we both can't be on the same team it's not necessarily the best thing so you know a lot of things led to that i ultimately i'm glad i went with that program but during that time you know i wanted to be dominant but i also like my ultimate goal was just to beat him and right. that got in the way tremendously because mm-hmm. that's all i could think about and it allowed other people to just like walk in you know right summerhill guys like that you know yeah. um of course this was when like tim and and ryan were both still racing but mm-hmm. kind of like intermittent with mm-hmm. their health mm-hmm. jamie you know all these other these are great racers um and uh and so I just, that consumed me. And when I figured out, like, okay, kind of let that go and just win the race and not beat Jeremy, mm-hmm. then it was just like, that was like 2016, 2017, mm-hmm. when I was like unstoppable, mm-hmm. you know, more or less. Mm-hmm. Except for my health, <laughs> you know. Right. Which ultimately, you know, for a lack of a better term, was my Achilles heel, was my Achilles. <laughs> and like my, my knee and my back and all these years of abuse of like breaking both my kneecaps, mm-hmm. you know, breaking my face, breaking my head, breaking my arms, mm-hmm. um, breaking my hip, you know, tailbone, feet, all these things of like ribs, you know. Eventually, it's just like, oh, cool, you want to throw all this like really hard work and like stress on your body? Yeah, it was like the like an old cartoon with like the spring popping out of an old mattress or something like that. Like you're like, oh, this thing sucked. And it's just like, bring! It's even worse. Like the, the SpongeBob episode where they're trying to sell chocolate and the he's like, my bones are made of glass and my skin is made of paper. Yes, that's essentially it. I mean, I spent so much of my career like just injured and like mm-hmm. coming back from injury. Mm-hmm. Which is just not where you want to be, like mm-hmm. always chasing from behind. Like every step forward was like two steps back. Right. And and ultimately that just like you don't want that to become your like your your story, your narrative. But like, fuck if it wasn't. Like it was hard. Yeah. Ugh. So, yeah. like, yeah. For some reason, I'm just I'm thinking of this time. Like, I don't even know which injury this was or what year it was. But we were at uh, Pan Am's in. Canada and Ontario and I remember I think I had just had a really bad race Mm. it was like wet and cold but I don't know if that really um 
helps give you any details, but I remember watching you going up the stairs uh-huh. and it looked like someone took your batteries out on the stairs. And then the next thing I saw you, you were riding back to your tent. Yeah. I, um, so that year I had probably done the best training, you know, up to that point and mm-hmm. had the best numbers kind of going in. I was so confident. Mm-hmm. And that was the year at, at Waterloo. Um, Vanderhaar crashed in front of me on like the second turn mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. on this off camber thing. And I flipped, broke my sternum. Okay. So broke my sternum, had to go home, you know, before Iowa and spent the next like month on the trainer mm-hmm. working through that and just kind of like spent a lot of time coming back and being in pain, which is something I'm pretty used to, mm-hmm. right? It's like, it's not new, but it was pretty devastating at the time. And so I went to Pan Am's and I was actually off the front. I had attacked the group. Mm-hmm. Remember like we went around that, that uh, pavilion? Yeah. You're right. You went through all like the technical section, mm-hmm. the little run up, and then you went through the pavilion, and then you went up those steps. Mm-hmm. There's like this really grainy video, like a Bigfoot, you know, like sighting video <laughs> that you can watch online. Uh, if anybody wants to Google it. Bigfoot sighting. Um, <laughs> where like I attacked, and I've got like 15 seconds, and I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, this is how you win a bike race. And then I, yeah, I would, like went to step off and go into those big concrete steps. Mm-hmm and at full speed and just like rolled my ankle and then it like it was like this huge sprain and then I like smashed into the steps and I broke a rib and I got a concussion and like knocked my shoulder out and I like laid there for a minute everybody passed me and I got up and then yeah like it was like somebody took the batteries out of me where I was just like and I am literally seeing stars I can't move my body. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and I rolled back, and I was just like, and it was like I, my kind of my first race back, I yeah. think. And I was just like, I remember going in the trailer and just like sobbing, and just it was oh, you know, mm-hmm. like I just I didn't want to do it anymore, and I just like it, I was so mad. I didn't want to see anybody. Um, it was awful, and uh, ugh, yeah, that was tough. Did you? ever think about like during that time or during any of those injuries about just like giving your bikes back to Stu be like wash them burn them take them apart I don't care I'm done no. or was there always the what's next how am I going to get through gotta this? get back gotta get back gotta do this whatever it is I gotta why? get back like why why did you care so much I don't know I have absolutely no idea do you look back now and wonder why I cared so much or do you still feel like that that was the only way out was through yeah, the only way I was through. The only way I was like, I had been so unwilling to commit to something for so long. Mm-hmm. I had committed that I wasn't willing to back out of that commitment. And that was like, that murdered, you know, family relationships, mm-hmm. friends, you know, girlfriends. Like, it burned everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just such a, like, a destructive um, drive. And obviously it killed me too. Like, mm-hmm. it was just... I was just a, it was hurt. One thing I will say is that I felt like I was kind of in this like desert of real help in the way of like, I'd kind of run out resources Mm -hmm. and I just kind of taxed everything so much that like, I had a lot of resources to get bikes. I had a lot Mm -hmm. of resources for equipment and Mm -hmm. all of these things. And like, I was not wanting in that area Mm -hmm. or motivation, but like someone who could diagnose and fix the problems that I was having, Mm -hmm. the back issues that I was having, all this stuff, like fit issues, you Mm -hmm. know, like around here, like we have a lot of riders. We don't have a lot of good resources Mm -hmm. in that way. We have Al. We have Al. And that's really like, that was the thing I ran into around here. And part of the reason why I moved is that 
Al was everything. Everything, and <laughs> he is incredible in that way. But no one can be everything for you. And I yeah. needed something. I needed a PT, and yeah. you need a therapist, and yeah. you need a bike fitter, and you need like, yeah, yeah you need a lot yeah. more than just a very very dedicated coach. Super insulated. Yeah. And I think the hard thing was that like the advice that I was getting outside of that was like push through it or like maybe it's in your head or like why don't you just race or you know all of these like old school like well it's not that bad. I think my hackles just went up hearing that. I'm like, <laughs> like oh my god okay interview is yeah. over I can't like that totally yeah. sends me into like fight or flight. Like oh I can't finish a bike race because my back is going out. Mm -hmm. Well maybe you just like don't think about it. Back in my day. Sick. Cool, thanks. <laughs> Let me go not think about it for a little while. Um, slash want to kill myself. Um, yeah. Because I can't fix this problem. Yeah. And uh, and that's where I was at that point. You know, it was just like everything hurt. My knee hurt. My, my back hurt. I couldn't get through races because my back was going out. I had seen all these, like, guys that I looked up to that were retiring because, like, fuck, Ryan broke his back. Mm -hmm. Tim's back was going out so bad. Jeremy's back was going out. Mm -hmm. You know, like, all these people that were just like, oh, our bodies are falling apart. Mm -hmm. And, like, no one is, no one's able to fix anything. And the best no one people had can, a success story. No one had a success point. story. Yeah. And the best that anybody could say is, was like, well, maybe, maybe it's in your head. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you should just push through it or whatever. So being me, I just threw everything at it that I could. You know, became, like, more and more you know kind of self motivated and researched and you know research myself into holes where you know you go down any hole of like you know is that is that an option cool let's go down that you know short of like drugs or you know for the first time in my life i was like yeah no this <laughs> drugs aren't the option now <laughs> you know um oh because, now you're yeah, oh, now. Okay. Oh, high and mighty <laughs> You know, I, I even had, like, a lot of people that I trust that were just like, yeah, at some point you just get a cortisone shot. And mm -hmm. I was just like, no, I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it. This, there's got to be another way. There's mm -hmm. so much resources out there. Like, why is that the option? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just, fuck, it was tiring. It was exhausting. And so at that point, it was just, you know, I think that's when, like, I started to get really depressed because you just, you're just tired. You can't, like, keep driving all the time, mm -hmm. all the time. And, like, every time, you know, I had met, like, Haley at that point, and, you know, she was just like, hey, I like you. We live together. Maybe you could spend some time with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I have shit to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I got to train. I got to do these things. Like, oh, maybe we should see my family or your family. I'm like, yeah, I could do that, but I also have this race coming up, so mm -hmm. I'm going to train. Um, oh, Thanksgiving? Cool. No, thanks. Mm -hmm. I got to, you know, I've spent too much time off the bike. Mm -hmm. you know? I got to not eat pie. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, and, and at that time, like jam my whole, like kind of, uh, uh, unit, you know, my community had just kind of like started to disperse, mm -hmm. you know, like you were going off and doing your own thing and everyone else had kind of gone off and done their thing mm -hmm. and, you know, Dern was gone, all these, you know, and it was just kind of, again, like kind of left. Al's just like holding me up, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and like I brought other people into the fold and stuff, but like it was just a lot of like, I think it was just too much. Like no one could help that much. Yeah. No one had the answer. Yeah. And so everyone just kind of became my like default therapist. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, 
but I still wanted to just do so much more. I wanted to spend more time in Europe. I wanted to do more of that. And I did find that like mentorship, men mentoring other people was helpful. It mm -hmm. kind of like took a lot of that load off and helped me feel like I was succeeding at something. Um, but eventually, yeah, it just, it's, it's like, it's, it's, you get this weird spot where you're just like, everyone is telling you how valuable you are and how like what you're doing right now will forever be part of who you are. We're never going to think about you differently. And you always have a spot and you always have the support and whatever, you know, I'm three national championships in, you know, I'm like three top 15s at worlds in. I'm consistently showing up when I have to, or when I'm supposed to might not be every day, might not be every race, but like when it counts, I showed up, yep. I did the thing and I walked away. And then like the pandemic hit and like all those people that were like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're just like, oh, who's this again? Mm -hmm. Fuck, we gotta go. <laughs> um, new phone, who dis? Yeah, new phone, who dis? Uh, <laughs> we only talk to the CDC right now. Um, and that felt like the entire world fell apart, like mm -hmm. completely. Uh, I know you can relate to that. <laughs> Relating to a lot of it, except for the part where you said that you never once thought about quitting. I'm like, wait, I literally thought about quitting every single day. Yeah, it would go through these like super swings where I was just like, fuck, I should just quit. And then it was like five minutes where I was just like, or I could try a donut only diet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, or something. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's, what the, about I, kale? it's the idea of, of three feet from gold. Have you seen the this drawing? It's like no. someone who um, there's two pictures stacked on top of each other, and it, it's a cartoon of two men with um, like pickaxes, and they're both just hammering, or one of them is hammering away at a rock wall, and he's so far, feet and feet and feet from this huge gold mine. And then the other one is walking away dejected with his pickaxe and he was only three feet away from yeah. striking gold. And so how do you quit when you don't really know how close you are to breaking yeah. through? Yeah. It's a, it's a really tough way to hedge your bets. It is. And like, you can't, I, I and I know from experience that like, it just takes one little breakthrough mm -hmm. and you're a new person, mm -hmm. you know, both like your motivation steps up or like opportunities open up or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I had talked to teams in Europe, mm -hmm. you know, I had a contract on the table and I was thinking about moving over there full time. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like? Um, and, but no one wanted to take a chance. I mean, like I started racing professional at 26, mm -hmm. like oh. 20, 25, 25, 26. I don't even know. Time is just a construct. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, um, so, you know, I always had kind of that chip on my shoulder of like, yeah, I'm just like the old dude and I've only got like a certain amount of time to do it. And I'm always behind and always this and this. Um, there's always something like kind of negative driving me in that way. But I was always one, like one like slog step through the mud away from having a good ride. And like I said, random times when it counted, I showed up mm -hmm. and had a good ride. You know, I at least had enough sense to know how to handle myself in those situations where mm -hmm. it was just like, okay, Ed, you're at world. Mm -hmm. You're kind of fucked right now. 
So like, what's your plan? You know, it was never like, okay, just keep doing the same thing. I was always trying to readjust. Mm -hmm. And obviously that gets exhausting. They're yes. just like constantly readjusting. And, and sometimes it was just like, like at uh, Valkenburg. Mm -hmm. I never Ugh. raced Valkenburg. That was like the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It was like one of the, are you talking about Valkenburg Worlds? Worlds. 2017 yeah. or something? That was. It was awful. It was like one of the worst, yeah. I guess 2018. 2018. It was one of the worst races <laughs> I've ever experienced in my life. It was so hard. It was, it was so horrible. And yeah. then, was that the year that WoW won by like yeah. half a lap a over a second? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that, yeah. that race was. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize how triggering this conversation was. Gonna be. You're just thinking back so many things that I've like. Yeah. Buried. I remember Power, Powers did like a. Um, I'm throwing him under the bus on this. He did like a pep talk because I think it was his last world. Okay. He came and did a pep talk for the USAC guys, and mm -hmm. we had like rid the course. He came and he's like, I don't know what to say, guys. I guess just like, uh, I don't. You're, you're fucked. Like, put your, I think he said something like, Yeah, it's time to like stretch and put your head between your legs and kiss your ass. Like, <laughs> it's over. And I remember hearing that game like, ooh. <laughs> All right, well, I think we can do better than that. Goddamn. But like, you know, I just said like, okay, just don't race anybody else's race. Like, yeah. you can't do that yes. here. So just like, do what you do. Like, just like ride the line and hold yourself, you know, back a little bit and mm -hmm. just like ride smooth and don't crash. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a single crash in that race. Wow. How the fuck did that happen? Did like, you get that was... last? Did you walk the whole thing? How did you? I was fifteenth. Oh my god, that's crazy. Fourteenth <laughs> or fifteenth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I, I was like one of, I think it was the only American to finish it or something. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe one other person finished it. I can't remember. Um, I think I was like, yeah, I was on the lead lap. Mm -hmm. I didn't get somehow. pulled. Like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. somehow I had like a great ride. You know, it was still like five minutes down, but yeah. it was somehow, it was an awesome ride. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, it was just like, okay, cool. This is like a metaphor for the long run. Yeah. Just like get in there and do what you can, mm -hmm. you know, make it, make a smart plan. And just keep. Just moving. keep going. Yeah. You know, just don't fucking stop. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. So you did finally stop. Just yeah. this past year, you finally announced your retirement, and like, what was that? What was that decision like? And kind of, I guess, like, how did you finally make that decision after like never being willing to throw in the towel or stop moving forward? Why did you finally decide to retire now? Well, I think I had set a goal of retiring when the world came back to the U.S. Okay. I had an idea that it was going to come back um, mm -hmm. at about the ten-year point. Okay. And that was just kind of my, like, you know, after going to Worlds in Louisville as, uh, as a non-racing athlete, you know, mm -hmm. as I, I was on jam. I had gone to world, or nationals for the first time, didn't finish it. And seeing it, I was just like, well, this is incredible. You know, I was like, well, maybe I can just make it to the next time it happens. And that'll be my swan song. Um, and I don't know why we use that term, because swan song, like, Ass trumpets. We'll go with donkey. My donkey song. Um, <laughs> but I had joined a new team. I joined Steve Tilford, and I, I just I struggled that whole time. You know, I I I made a kind of effort to be to be more willing to sacrifice a little bit of time and mm -hmm. and do more sparing training and like kind of have a. 
try to have a little bit more balance in my life. And I was like, yeah, this will definitely work. And honestly, I put some of the best training, most consistent training that I had, I had ever done. Um, I was just super dialed. But we were also starting a family. Haley was pregnant when we went into that. And actually, at my team camp, our initial team camp, I told everyone that we were pregnant. Haley is pregnant, not me. And, we're both um, pregnant. We're both pregnant. They're like, you look pregnant. Um, and so I think the that was like, okay, well, yep, all right. I don't think I can handle Like, knowing who I am, I'm not sure that I can handle being, like, a parent and doing this at the same time. Mm-hmm. Definitely no, I cannot do that. Mm-hmm. And um, we went through a lot on that program. And to be honest, I probably would have walked away at that time. Because mm-hmm. I kind of, like, in the interim between, like, Cannondale and, like, the year of not racing mm-hmm. um, and not having a program and not having support and, like, starting coaching, which is, like all right, I think this is just it. That was just like a out of the blue, somebody called me. Mm-hmm. And um, I, if, you know, probably if everything went like smoothly, I probably would have just called it that year, but everything mm-hmm. went like really bad. And mm-hmm. like, we actually had a really hard time getting the team off the ground. We mm-hmm. had this like explosion with the, the original um, crew. And um, one of the people that was starting it with us mm-hmm. um, ended up being a complete psychopath. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had to take it all on on our own. Mm-hmm. And I went from being a teammate to being, like, part of it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. You know what? Like, this I can do. Mm-hmm. Like, I have a lot of experience in adversity. I have a lot of experience in, like, putting a plan together and making it happen. I love mentoring. This is a great experience for yeah. me. And the team was open to it. Um, and... We had a lot of momentum, and we just went with it. And like that, it became it. It became less about my results, and it became more about like, can we just do this and succeed at it? Um, and that drove me pretty hard. Mm-hmm. And so the next year, we went back with the same thing. And but it, it became like really difficult. And well, I say next year because we never we only did one cross season together, mm-hmm. but we did a, a summer season, um, some mountain bike racing, some some gravel stuff, and then. Um, uh, and then uh, went into the, the next cross season um, because of COVID. We, we just weren't able to race cross the, the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, and but just like it, it just never, it just never happened. Mm-hmm. Like the results just never really came. I think I came out swinging pretty hard. Mm-hmm. At I, I did everything normal, mm-hmm. and by all means, the markers were there, and I had a really good Rochester, mm-hmm. and. I mean, hell, I felt pretty dominant, you know, mm-hmm. except for uh, Vincent, um, you know, who's just a really good racer. And, yeah. Um, but I think Lawrence Sweek, you know, those guys are great. <laughs> like, they're very good bike racers, yep. you know. But I felt, like, right there with them, yeah. you know. And um, it, I was very confident. I was like, fuck, this is the best form I've ever had. And just some, for some reason, it just didn't work. Yep don't know what it was Mm -hmm. you know it was a new environment new you know people and new stresses and all of this and um just didn't seem to to really click and then it just became this thing of like oh I actually don't like racing when I can't uh be good at it yeah it's not fun (laughs) it's not fun because I'm I all I want to do is win the race right and I realize that that's unhealthy but I also I, there's, I tried not. Right. I, I tried not caring. 
that didn't work. Like that was that was that was an absolute failure. Was like just show up and have some fun. Like <laughs> ah, wrong guy. Sorry. Have you met me before? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was super tough, and I was just having a lot more problems with my body, and it was it was like my back. You know, at that point, I kind of realized that I have two. Uh, I have two torn hip labrum torn meniscus in my knee, torn QL in my lower, my, my back, my hip, um, you know, knee tendinopathy, you name it, I got it, right? Um, and so this weird cramping issue, I, I don't know, like I was going in and out of, like, yeah, that was really, really difficult. Um, and I was just like, we had a kid, yeah. and I was hardly being a good partner and parent, and um, it just wasn't like, working I wasn't mm-hmm. making as much money as I used to mm-hmm. and you know at some point I could like rely on even a mediocre contract with with race winnings and like I wasn't mm-hmm. getting shit out of that yeah yeah it gets <laughs> you know bike racing is a very fickle thing if you're if you're trying to make a living off mm-hmm. of it um and I just didn't really see like I'm 35 didn't really see a way forward of like <laughs> like yeah I'm, I'm getting closer you know and um so I realized, I think what, what happened really, two things. One is that Jesse called me from Jesse Anthony from USA Cycling. It was like, hey, bud, <laughs> wondering what you're doing. This was at Falmouth. He was like, wondering what you're doing next year. Kind of hoping you're ready to retire. You know, like, want to wanna see you succeed, but kind of <laughs> hoping you're ready to retire because I'd like somebody to help me run this program. Yeah. And I think you're the person to do it. I don't, I, I don't. I don't know of anyone else that I want to do this with. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, well, f- that's flattering. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, cool. All right. That kind of put the seed in my, the, the bee in my bonnet of like, okay, I, I think I actually have something that I could do better at and, or, you know, continue to do well at. And, um, and then I realized that in order to make worlds, I'd have to go to Europe. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't even, like, do well enough at the U.S. races for myself. It can't hardly finish half of them because of my back. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way yeah. I'm going to make it through a, a tour in Europe. So I was like, all right, that's it. That's my answer. It was right then and there. You're like, yeah. okay, done. It's over. I'm not going to do it. Yep. So it kind of worked out where, you know, he was like, cool, well, if you're not going to race worlds, would you like to be the coach? Yeah. You know, we can, we've been talking about this position, but it doesn't actually exist yet. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can convince people by, like, bringing you on and doing this. Which obviously just, like, scared the hell out of me. Um, And, but the confidence that he put in me, the confidence of everybody else. And and, and honestly, like, our our whole, like, jam goal. Like, Mm -hmm. this is a continuation of jam where, like, the ultimate goal was, like, make bike racers and eventually put them into positions of of power Mm -hmm. to, like, influence what we want to do and, like, use our experience to make things better mm-hmm. influence the entire structure as opposed to just the local level right it's mm-hmm. it really is like an ingrained thing and uh, you're a great example of that of like being able to actually get out of the fold of just racing and be mm-hmm. more than a bike racer and actually influence people and influence decisions that are made for I'm other a people podcaster right now. you're an influencer I'm, podcaster. <laughs> and 
I'm an influential podcaster? Is that what you meant to yeah, say? Yeah, I believe so. Um, you, you, you said yeah. influencer, but I... Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll I think just, that's what you meant. You just put it right there. Yeah. yeah. Can we edit that in? <laughs> influential podcaster. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, this is in line. Like, this isn't... Mm-hmm. This isn't giving up. This is this is what I'm supposed to do. This is the next step mm-hmm. in that. And um, and just the you know I had worked with Jim Miller for a little while, and he had went back to you know as a coach, and he had went, he had always been a champion of me being like, I, I can't tell you like how many conversations we had where he was like, I want you to run a team. Yeah. I want you to be involved in this. I want you to run a development team. Mm-hmm. I want you to do these things. And I was like, okay, all right. And it's like cool. I'll figure it out. Like we'll, we'll work together somehow. Yeah. And he went back to USA Cycling. And so that was a big, you know, like, oh, cool, I have a champion there. And then Jesse being like, we want you to do this. Mm-hmm. And then we went to Worlds. And all I could think of was, like, what are all the experiences that I had at Worlds that sucked? Mm-hmm. What are all the experiences that I had with the national team that sucked? Where did I feel like I was lacking? Where was my mistrust in, mm-hmm. in coming from, um, you know, a private program to a national team program? Like, what? Why did I always separate myself from mm-hmm. insulate myself from that? Did I feel like I had the right support? Did I feel like I, I had trust in people? Did I feel like the right people were around us? Um, you know, did I just have that ultimate trust in that program? And I don't, I don't think necessarily that I did. <laughs> we ended that out too. Um, wildlife out here. Who knew? Um, Ducks. <laughs> um, and Jesse you know, was just like, hey, I'm so, I'm, you know, all you have to do is just, like, be with the athletes, Mm -hmm. and, you know, me, like, I I think I'm, I'm best suited to being one-on-one with people, and I think I'm, I'm, I, I think I have a, a gift for being in a group, Mm -hmm. and instilling confidence, and listening, and, you know, hopefully imparting some sort of knowledge, and being of comfort at times, Mm -hmm. I think, potentially, and, um, so I was like, cool. He's like, that's all you got to do. That's it. You have no other responsibilities. You don't have to answer an email. You don't have to, like, show for anybody. You just make sure that these riders mm-hmm. have the best experience that they can have in that. And it was like, oh, cool. That's exactly what I was thinking. Great. And just he had built up this this tremendous staff, like, the best I'd ever seen, yeah. you know, and just. And it showed. It showed I mean, in a really big way. The performances at Worlds this year were phenomenal and mm-hmm like we've never seen i would say mm-hmm. in at worlds where we've had these standout rides where mm-hmm. one rider will get yep. a medal or have a really great performance but there was like this consistency across the board and i felt like a lot more just having dinner with you all just at once seeing you guys like eating dinner together and then lingering after dinner was over mm-hmm. and still hanging out and stuff like that i feel like was a huge change from the um what's the not the ambiance, but you know, from, from that energy that yeah, surrounded yeah, yeah. us when we were yeah. on the national team, yeah. it was very, so it was very different. In the past, there's been a lot of pressure. Yeah, you know, I think we had a lot of a lot of people that didn't necessarily know how to um, motivate without mm-hmm. putting too much pressure on people. Yeah, and and just kind of creating an environment that was a little bit unsettling, mm-hmm. and you kind of felt like it was do or die. Yeah, and I think. You know, there was great, we had great help there. I mean, um, my two coworkers, uh, Chris and Grant, um, who I work with at Forever Endurance, um, you know, we had long conversations of like what we'd like to see mm-hmm. and how we can we can kind of do this. And um, so kind of creating the environment that was safe 
and that people could be relaxed in and mm -hmm. that they could trust mm -hmm. and also kind of like eyeing like who's working well with the other person mm -hmm. and can we like continue that you know and not like isolating people mm -hmm. um and i think what i saw you know working with the athletes directly was like there was a very closed off you know i don't know you mm -hmm. you know like everybody knows who i am mm -hmm. they don't know me per se not mm -hmm. everybody some some do and i think some were very comfortable with me but i think other athletes especially the younger ones seeing the, the conversations that like you and i would have mm -hmm. or uh, ray lynn who was my teammate you know mm -hmm. um or other athletes that i knew um kind of allowed them to open up a little bit yeah. and then my line of questioning of like hey what do you need mm -hmm. <laughs> you know not telling them what they need to do mm -hmm. but asking them what they need mm -hmm. and, and trying to like where are you at you know mm -hmm. where are you at right now like are you are you in the game are you are you scared i need you to give me a hug and tell me i'm doing a good job yeah right <laughs> and like sometimes it was like I had, you know, there was a couple of athletes where it was just, it was really like kind of eye-opening for me of just seeing what some of these athletes were missing and like just these super nervous kids mm -hmm. and then having that conversation of like, let me tell you about a time that I, I cried in the other room because I was so scared oh, yeah. of this thing or oh, like yeah. I absolutely felt like I was falling apart and then going like, wait, you did that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Of course I did that. <laughs> like this, it's not. That's like what I want this podcast to be about is yeah. like. Everyone thinks that like high performing athletes and like successful people and public figures have have it different and that like no one's ever cried or ever wanted to quit or ever had setbacks. And I hope that having more of these conversations, people are able to realize like we've all cried in the other room or at mm -hmm. least I know you and I both have. We've cried in the other room. We've wanted to quit, whether you call it retirement, quitting, sabbatical, however you want to put it, like there's a time to throw in the towel all mm -hmm. of those things like that we're all in this together yeah. uh and so i feel like that's a really great thing that you were able to provide to the team to that national team yeah i, I hope it came across of you know like hey yeah this is this is hard and scary and the best mm -hmm. thing you can do is is acknowledge that mm -hmm. and say like you know this is coming from a guy with years of therapy <laughs> like you know of having to have somebody else tell me like mm -hmm. Yeah, what you're doing is hard and scary, and like, there's a reason you made it onto the national team. Mm -hmm. It's because that you are more successful than most of the other people out there, mm -hmm. and it's for various reasons. Mm -hmm. But you also have these things that are holding you back. Still, yeah. it's not like this isn't it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is not it. Um, and so there's more work to be done, and, and a lot of that is just is being like vulnerable to some extent, and just being like, oh, this is heavy. I need help. Yeah. Um, how can how can we do this? And, you know, and I think that, I don't know if anybody else cared about this, but, you know, for me, like, I wanted more than anything to just be on course. I wanted yeah. to race. That's all I could think about. It was mm -hmm. so bittersweet being there. It, like, it hurt in a lot of ways. Like, oh, yeah. it hurt bad. Yeah. Like, this is it. This is what I worked for my entire career, mm -hmm. and it's over, and I didn't get to do it. Yeah. You know? It was fucking brutal. And I got to tell people about other people that were racing. It, yeah, right? You're like, this it looks like they're having a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was like, wow, it doesn't look like anyone's yeah. enjoying this at all, but I still want to be out yeah. there not enjoying it with they them. They must be so honored to be on the sword. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I just, you know, it hit me really hard when I actually got there and got yeah. on the course and, and the racing started. And I was just like, oh, oh this is kind of brutal. Yeah. Um, but can I turn that energy into something, you know, good for these, these kids? Yeah. Um, 
and you know can I still have solidarity with the people that I had raced with yeah you know with my compatriots mm -hmm. in that way and uh, my colleagues you know for mm -hmm. better or worse you know, those are my teammates and these are people that I've raced against you know and now finally I can serve them mm -hmm. in a way and not be kind of hiding something yeah you know like I've always been one to be friends with the people that I race with mm -hmm. you know the, the ones that I can and I'll, I've always been open mm -hmm. You want advice? I'll give you advice. Mm -hmm. You know, good good advice. I'll give yeah. you advice that I want. I've never been afraid to tell somebody how I think they could win the race mm -hmm. because I'm just going to think about it. You know, I'm going to think about it another way. Yeah. You know, I'm going to I'm also going to try, and it's always going to make me better. So I've always been open in that way, and now I'm like, oh, now I don't have that like card up my sleeve. Mm -hmm. Now I can just be there yeah. and be open, and that's the only role I have. And um, and I remember just like going up kind of every day that we went we rode from the hotel to the course and you go up this big hill um in Fayetteville and we got to the course and everybody kind of wanted to go and so I'll go with like the junior the junior men junior women u23s whatever and we kind of get to the gate and remember there was like that bike path that everybody mm -hmm. kind of rode in on and we'd stop you know I'd be like hey everybody come on, stop before we even go in there mm -hmm. you know it was like here's what I need you to do <laughs> just stop for a second mm -hmm. sit what's going on like mm -hmm. what what are we doing here yeah why are you here, here and yeah. that you are here and just think about like all of these people are here to not make you nervous mm -hmm. they're here to support you and they're all here because they're excited about what's going on and they're excited for you and they support you and they want you to do well and even if you don't do well they're here to support you mm -hmm. they want to continue the support yeah and you're here for a reason. You're here because you you were selected. We mm -hmm. have criteria, so mm -hmm. you met the criteria. That's yeah. good. That's a positive thing. You know, it's not. Um, you're not. You didn't get picked at random. Right. You deserve to be here. Yeah. And I want you to look around, and I want you to see all that's going on, and I just want you to absorb it and soak it in, and just feel good about it. You know. And when you get nervous or you get scared or you are, you know, you're needing to kind of put your plan in place. You know, when you go through that visualization, you go through all of this. I also want you to think, like, and I teared up every time, like, I said this. You know, it was just like, uh, look, I, I also want you to know that, like, when you look at me and think, like, uh, I, more than anybody here, want to be there. Mm -hmm. Like, there are people that are dreading this. There are people that are nervous. There are people that have waited their whole lives for this. But, like, this is it. This was going to be the culmination of mm -hmm. my entire career. And I... I would die to be here right now you know i nearly died to be here now in your shoes and i just want you to think like you know uh, whatever if i want to give up or i'm scared or i have to do something hard like i would do this i mm -hmm. would want to be there and, you know can you just do it for me mm -hmm. can you have that can you use that as some sort of motivation you mm -hmm. know and yeah, I damn near broke down every time I said it. But it was, uh, I think, effective. Yeah. And for me, it felt good. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, I, I, think I think it was kind of empowering yeah. just for other people to know that, like, yeah, this is a huge deal. Like, it's not just... It's not just another race. It's not just another race, you know. It's, when it comes to preparation and how you race it, it's just another race. But there's... It's going to be the only time you ever get honor. to do this. Yeah. And it is. Racing on home soil it's is an honor. Massive. It's an absolute honor. And a lot of people would, you know, to kill to be in that position. And a lot of people are here to support you to do that. So please just do your best mm -hmm. at it, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, it showed in the athletes. You know, they did their best. Whether or not that had an effect on them, they did their job and well. Um, 
and I think the feedback we got from that was incredible. And it was very easy, I think, to to pitch mm-hmm. like, okay, let's let's move him into this role, mm-hmm. you know. And that was super reassuring for yeah. me, you know, because I still didn't know if it was even going to happen. Right. Um, and uh, so yeah, so we were able to kind of create that position, and now it's it's more of figuring out what what the future looks like, you know. <laughs> nah, I have no idea. <laughs> Great question. If you come up with anything, uh, let me know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, that's going to need to be like another multi-part uh, okay. podcast series because yeah. I think that could be an entirely different subject. Um, I made it past 30. I know. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I guess I have one other question just to shift gears and you can get as philosophical as you want on this. But for people who are listening, the show is called This One's For You. And we talked before we started and said, perhaps we could say, if you're stuck in a rut, this mm. one's for you. We kind of liked that double entendre. Um, it was very psychotrasphobic. <laughs> for people who are listening that want to change the course of where they're on, they might be the, um, the theoretical punk BMX mm-hmm. cigarette smoking folks. Maybe they just don't really like the job that they have right now and they want to do great things but it's a lot of work and it's scary as hell and they don't know they don't believe maybe that they have that ability to reinvent themselves what do you say to them as someone who has made it out on the other side i think i think you need to 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 stop for a second and and take that look around and and see that um what's stopping what stops people primarily from doing the thing that they really want to do? There's a lot of factors. Obviously, I'm not going to just say like just do, do you just work hard? Just work hard. You know, obviously that doesn't always work. But I, I think what can be effective in this way is is take a take a real look around and, and look at look at the things that are going on around you and the things that you're doing as things that you're doing and not who you are, because I think it's a really important differentiation of like you are not the things that you do. Mm-hmm. The things that you do are just things that you do. Mm-hmm. And the things that you do, you can stop doing. Mm-hmm. Or you can do other things. The people you're around, you can be around other people. All of those things are scary and they're hard to do. Habits are real. Mm-hmm. You know, These ingrained things are real. And for me, it was always finding someone that was heading in the direction that I wanted to go. Yeah that I thought was healthier to be around. Mm-hmm. And granted, I went through shades of that. And I think finding mentorship mm-hmm. in the direction you want to go is probably one of the more crucial things because you know, nobody can do it alone. And I think that's the, I think that's the real thing is, mm-hmm. you know, like you can't change what you're doing alone mm-hmm. completely. And you can't move forward alone completely mm-hmm. or wholly and you know everybody needs that yeah there's not a single uh successful person out there that did it alone yeah and if they say they did they're a liar and they won't be successful for long <laughs> <laughs> because somebody hates them <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i think that's it it's just you you want to get out of the rut move your wheel 
you know? Yes. Yeah. Obviously not that simple. Sometimes it takes like understanding the skill set in order to do that and developing the skill set to do that, but it's a it's a little bit at a time and if you can kind of make small changes that mm -hmm. shed light in different directions, you know, eventually you'll you'll have a path. Yeah. But I, I love the idea of separating yourself from your habits and the things that you do. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people look at their habits that they objectively think are bad habits or things that aren't serving them. And they think, if well, if I'm doing this thing that's not serving me, then I'm a bad person or I'm not going to be a successful person. But you just have habits that aren't suiting you. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that you yeah. and, are inherently... And absolutely. And it goes you know in in a lot of different ways like eventually i realized that i was relating to myself as a bike racer mm -hmm. and that wasn't suiting me anymore mm -hmm. you know it wasn't it wasn't serving me in that way mm -hmm. i needed to be a dad mm -hmm. i needed to be a mentor and a coach mm -hmm. and I, I needed to be these other things uh part-time gardener um so i changed it it was scary yeah still scary yeah Honestly, I have no idea what I'm doing, so, you know, but I have good mentorship around me, and mm -hmm. I've, I've sought that out, and again, that's scary, kind of opening yourself up and being like, uh, you know, a lot of people have said, like, oh, but you've done all these great things, like, just just continue doing that, but, like, no, you got to take a step back, and you got to be, like, bad at something for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, or at least open yourself up to the idea that you're bad at something, mm -hmm. or you're, you're not as knowledgeable or successful at the thing that you want to do moving forward. And I think being not the smartest person in the room, and as Al once told me, never be the strongest guy in the break. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think it'll serve you. Yeah. So, yeah, don't be the strongest guy in the break. I think <laughs> I think that's like a a perfect note to end on. Um, perfect, because I have to go get allergy tested. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have more information on allergy testing than you could ever want to know in a lifetime, but um, yeah. Well, I can already tell you what I'm allergic to, but maybe they'll tell me I can start taking the histories again. Yeah. <laughs> um, hi, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks really, for having me. I really appreciate it, and uh, you know I appreciate that you're the first guest ever. Yeah. So my pleasure. Uh, before we wrap, can you tell everyone where they can follow and support you? Well, it depends on uh, where I'm at with Instagram or not. I delete it off my phone like every other day. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really know where I am with social media right okay. now, but I am there. Um, I don't really, you know, I mostly am like an amateur photographer now. <laughs> as wow. far as like Should be a part-time model next. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and... Yeah, just look for updates from like USC Cycling, and um, again, I'm uh, coaching with Forever Endurance. Uh, also, I have openings for clients, so mm -hmm. if anybody's interested, um, I am available. And I am around. Yeah, awesome. I hope to be more around in person than I am on the internet. Perfect. Um, <laughs> you can catch was... me on podcasts everywhere. <laughs> that was like the most ambiguous possible yeah. answer, and I, I think that's I think that's great. Yeah. I think we should I, be where less. Where are you? I exist. We should be less available. <laughs> so. Yeah, I am working on being less available so I can be more available. Okay. Um, that's just that's just perfect. I, I'm kind of like taken aback by the the Stephen Hydeness of all of that. So. Yeah. I guess. I'm here for the metaphors. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode, Hyperbole. the first ever. 
<laughs> what? Everyone. <laughs> Thank you, Mom and uh, Grammy and Grandpa, for tuning in to this week's episode of Call It a Comeback. Probably Patty Hyde will listen to this too, oh, right? Patty Hyde will definitely okay, listen to this. Okay, so thank you to Sandy Noble, Patty and David Staples, and Patty Hyde for tuning in to this week's episode <laughs> of Call It a Comeback. If you like what you heard, please let me know as I'm still learning and I only want positive feedback. I'm mostly kidding. Isn't um, this where you say, and smash that like button? <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. If you have someone who you'd like to see interviewed who has their own amazing story of comeback, challenge, inspiration, and general badassery that may have a message for this one's for you please let me know and we will talk to you soon thanks Hyde bye bye